Ruben wanted me to start with an opening gag, so that that's the best I got. I really, yeah, you know. <laughs> you suck, you know that, right? <laughs> I'm not using Cue the music, baby! <laughs> Welcome to Pop Cultural Quintessentials with Cube. I am Ruben Kiros. I am one third of Cube. Um, and I am being joined by Jaku. Let's go. Through Zoom. It is finals week for all of us, but one of us is busier than the rest. Uh, little, J- little Jacob <laughs> has a bunch of finals he has to study for. High school's rough. So uh, for most of the episode, it's just going to be Jonathan and me doing a little mini quasi cube. Don't worry, I will talk more this time. Yeah, uh, I'm Jonathan, sorry, I, I, I'm sorry about that. I'm also sorry about. Uh, I'm also uh, preemptively apologizing to Jacob Kiro stands uh, for the fact that he is not here this episode. You can just skip this one if you if you very much want to, but then you'll miss all of our uh, 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 wonderful opinions on MCU Spider Man. So uh, I know. Why would they skip? Yeah, we're still enough to carry this program. Although, yeah, I I know I am. I mean, we we are we are we we us you and me. It is also No Way Home release week. Uh, we Ooh. obviously, as you can tell, we waited till the last minute to actually do this goddamn podcast, okay. Jonathan. T- Okay, to be completely fair, though, uh, the life of a music major is a lot busier than you might think, Ruben. <laughs> and I'm not in grad school, Jonathan? I mean, also, yes, but you see, now we, we both had a valid excuse, you know? All right. So, yeah, No Way Home comes out this Thursday. We are watching it on Friday. The hype is through the roof right now for me. Uh, um, I am trying to maintain uh, my composure and keep my uh, hype in check. The last time that I let my hype get out of check, it was Iron Man 3, and that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> all right. And as of this recording, No Way Home on Rotten Tomatoes is at a 98% with 81 reviews. That's the exciting. Con- the consensus says... A bigger, bolder Spider-Man sequel, No Way Home expands the franchise's scope and stakes without losing sight of its humor and heart. Which is good. Which is good. I was really afraid for this movie with everything they were trying to do. I'm happy that it ended up, you know, at least so far, it sounds like it's pretty good. I'm managing my expectations. Obviously, you'll hear uh, our opinions probably uh, a day or two after the fact, after the movie's released, but, you know... We're, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be good. I hope. All right. With that out of the way, let us talk about the next movie in our Spider-Man rewatch. We are nearing the end Mr. of this Stark. rewatch. <laughs> um, this next movie is Spider-Man Homecoming. So we have our first feature-length movie ever since... Uh, for the first time since uh, Spider-Man was released from the clutches of Sony, at least partially, 
Um, obviously, he added his introduction into the MCU in Civil War, but this is kind of his first uh, full-out outing and the first time we kind of get to see him in action uh, on his own for the most part. But, what yeah. did you think of that Civil War introduction? Because I actually rewatched it because I was oh, curious. You, damn, you rewatched it. I uh, did. I re- I rewatched Civil War a few months ago. I remember loving that uh, reintroduction of Spider-Man. I think it is a very good way of introducing the character uh, once the MCU has kind of been up and running. I feel like it's the, the smoothest way to kind of bring him into the fold without kind of like going back and sidetracking and doing all these other things to get him in there. I thought it was a really good introduction. I really love Tom Holland's Peter in that Civil War introduction. I love his Spider-Man in that Civil War battle. Like... You can tell already, like, this kid's something special. Um, obviously, um, my my uh, hot take or controversial opinion is still that Andrew Garfield is my favorite actor to play Spider-Man, but Tom is a close second. He is funny, he's youthful, he's, he's like, witty and spry, he's always on his feet. He's kind, he's kind of, um, he's got this, like, kind of happier, more innocent uh, approach to Peter Parker, because we have kind of a younger approach to peter parker in this movie they made him actual high schoolers and we'll get into that more when we talk about homecoming but what i really liked about the introduction in civil war is the writing was on point yes it felt like the spider-man character at least as you would expect the spider-man character to act you know yeah you can tell that Feige has had experience with the character in the past with executive with his exe- executive producing jobs in the Sam Raimi movies and some of those excellent movies too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, great job also by the Russo brothers directing and Marcus and McFeely writing that screenplay for Civil War. I could sing those guys' praises for an entire podcast. Ruben could do they... more than sing those man's praises for an entire podcast. A man has an entire musical number lined up. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to hear me sing. We, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> but also the action, getting into that component of it, was also really good. Um, yeah. I really like how he actually has witty banter during the fight in Civil War. Yeah. And that like carried into this movie as well. But Yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that we have a, a Spider-Man that's finally, I think, a good balance between the two. I think that Raimi's Spider-Man didn't quip nearly enough. Not that he didn't quip at all, but he didn't quip nearly enough. I think Andrew's uh, or Webb's Spider-Man quipped maybe a little too much sometimes. We finally kind of find a balance here where it's like, oh, he's in combat. He's kind of like throwing jokes around, but it's never too obsessive. It's never to the point where it's like putting civilians in danger. Like he's still actively trying to keep people safe, but... Yeah. So do you want us to uh to kick off the movie, Ruben? Yeah. You know what, Jonathan? You take the lead on this one. I trust you. What, me? Oh, yes, me? you. Yeah, you. Little old me? Open. Oh, God. Uh, uh, I didn't prepare for this. Uh, let me just... Uh, in 1492... No, I'm joking. Okay, let's just get into it. Let's not mess with uh, JQ bits. Uh, we might even cut this out in post. Um, but to begin this movie, we have kind of a flashback to the Avengers 2012. Um, we have, we're introduced to Adrian Toome's Vulture. Uh, or, a, I'm sorry, Adrian Toome, the Vulture, portrayed by Michael Keaton, uh, who does a really great job in this movie. But this is kind of like an introduction to that character, his motivations, his kind of encounter with the Avengers, with the destruction of New York. We get this really amazing moment where it's like 
it's these guys really just trying to get through the day and their life has been impacted by um, this alien attack. And then their only source of like maybe like picking themselves out of the ground or kind of making some money to like restore themselves is taken away by the same goddamn people who caused that destruction. Which honestly, Gotta love a, Stark. it's a very relatable it's a very relatable villain. Like, you can see, like, his motivations clearly. He's not, like, this crazy... He's not, like, this, he's not, like the same, like, lunatic Adrian Toomes that we see in, like, the comics. Oh, like, hell I mean, no. Yeah, we have, a, we have a, a, a big departure from that. We see a lot of big departures in this movie that, honestly, I think, work for the most part, honestly. Getting it, but, uh, getting it stated right off the top, best live-action Spider-Man villain for me. For me? For well, now. Yeah, coming back to this and watching it again, I'd still say for me it's probably still Doc Ock. But I just find the motivations of Adrian Toomes in this movie to be a little stronger than what they were for Alfred Molina. What's driving the character of Adrian Toomes? I can follow the logic more than Alfred Molina and the just wanting to rebuild the reactor. I get it from the yeah. perspective that he wanted to rebuild his dreams or yeah. what his goal was. Yeah. But I don't completely get behind him going straight to that without having more of a mourning period for his wife i guess i guess the arms were yeah. manipulating him a bit there but yeah i can see that i would say yeah vulture does have the best motivations for sure um out of all of them because i mean green goblin was really just getting back at people who had wronged him doc Ock was trying to create the sun again we're not even going to talk about eddie brock Okay, um, Jan Man goes out here trying to steal money for three hours straight to heal his da daughter of some unstated illness. End of the uh, line, Spider-Man. <laughs> End of the line, Spider-Man. Lizard. Hey. Hey. <laughs> oh, Peter Parker. Yep, we had Lizard uh, out here trying to turn everyone into lizards for some goddamn reason. Electro Don't get us started again on that. Yeah, I really, we, we gotta keep moving. Electro literally having the worst motivation of any Spider-Man villain in live action. Okay. Continuing. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Electro. I don't feel like we talked about this enough, but Electro trying to steal power from, like, the grid that he built, I think it could have worked with better writing. I don't think the motivation was completely... I think Absent. it could have helped. I think it could have helped with the with the rewrite we did in that bonus episode. Like, it, like I feel like that that rewrite would have helped that a lot more. But I'm telling you though, Adrian Toomes' motivation is just like this everyman motivation. He's literally doing this for his family. He's doing this for like mostly unselfish purposes. And then it kind of gets out of hand, and he kind of spirals out of control. And it's just a good man getting pushed too far. And I think. I really wish, I really, really wish we'd get uh, more pushback on Tony Stark's character throughout the MCU. So, like, I wish some of the heroes... There's were... a lot of it, I feel, already yeah. no, in the I MCU. Mean, I mean, like, from the villain side, but I mean also from the good guy side of being like, yeah, this guy kind of effed things up horribly. I don't Wasn't know. that most of Civil War... That was most of Civil War, that's true. It was Tony um, dealing with the aftermath of Ultron, which, yeah. you know... As I've always stated to you, Civil War makes Ultron a better movie, I think, retroactively. I think Civil War makes a lot of things better in the MCU altogether. It's uh, a linchpin moment, I feel. 
You know, yeah. if that movie wouldn't have worked, I feel like the entire thing could have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. I don't understand people who don't like that movie. Anyway, that's... We could do an entire episode on Civil War. We really well. could. And we really and we keep saying that. Like, we could we really do entire could. episodes on a lot of things. Um, yeah. Okay, but getting... going back to Adrian Toomes. Um, Spider-Man. And <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming. To go back to this opening... Let's be real, Jonathan. We're going to get more off track since Jacob isn't here to keep us honest. Yeah, and also because we're finally delving into the MCU and this one individual quote-unquote movie is also connecting to like 20 others. Yeah, so I don't know. Because I, when I was a kid, I was there for Toby's last movie, truly. That's the first one I watched in theaters. But I never identified with Toby as my Spider-Man. Andrew was a little bit of a weird... Thing, but this Tom, these Tom Holland movies, I felt a closer attachment to, and I think that's just inherent to me growing up with the MCU itself and yeah. feeling a strong I'm, connection to that. For me, I've kind of felt kind of a strong connection to each of the Spider Man because I kind of, for the first few years of my life, it was Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Then you had Andrew, who I really admired Andrew at the time, and I knew that something wasn't right there. Coming back and revisiting that, I'm like, oh, that's what what you that's see Andrew in other such films. An amazing, it's that he's such an amazing actor who was wasted. And then Tom, I just, I, I don't know. I've got a soft spot for Tom. And it's also because I grew up with the MCU. And I like this rendition of the character. Is it a perfect rendition of Spider-Man? I don't think so. But I think that a lot of the critiques that people have about Tom Spider-Man are at least, like, they're based in some form of truth. But it also blinds them from what's really working with this character. I think it's, I think they're looking at it in the shorthand. I think what Marvel's doing with it and, they don't have it all mapped out clearly. Yeah. Um, because the multiverse movie wasn't the original intention for this third movie. It yeah. was a Craven the Hunter thing. Uh Tom Holland said that in an interview this week. I still want to see that movie. I want to see that movie still. But now do you have Aaron Taylor Johnson playing uh Craven? So I guess no, if I you do about that. You know, you, no. can, you you know the multiverse is a thing, so you can have Craven pop into the universe, I guess. Or you can give him a luscious beard and have him take place in the MCU and no one would care since Quicksilver was only in one movie. But I don't even remember what I was getting at. Jeez, uh, <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, yeah, what I was getting at. Um, so the Tom movies, I feel, are telling one complete arc. I think it's kind of the same thing what Zack Snyder intended with Superman. Yeah. He was going to make this long-ass arc and at the end of it, he'd be Superman. I feel like with these Tom Holland movies, they're slowly turning him into comic book Spider-Man, or he's going to grow into that? I think people aren't seeing, like, there is a tendency towards growth in these movies. Um, Like, I I guess, like, just to, like, finish up before we get on to this, though, let's kind of finish up with this interesting, but yeah, we have a lot to say about Tom Spider-Man and kind of people's perceptions about Tom Spider-Man's pros and cons about Tom Spider-Man, because I think there are a lot of, for everything that isn't working or for every critique that people do have, I think that uh, there's something that's actually working really well and that you have to also consider like what's happening behind the scenes and the difficulty of getting this character into the MCU. Like a lot of things had to come together and to get as quality of a product as we got, we've got to be thankful for that. Like it's not, it may not be what you grew up with or what we see in the comics or like what we see in most renditions of the character, but like the MCU plays around with, with characters so much like look at taskmaster and black widow i won't spoil it there's quite a big character difference with taskmaster oh Master. huge yeah huge 
Even Mysterio in the next movie that we talk about. There are tweaks to his character. There are tweaks to Vulture's character here. There are tweaks to every single character. And I think it's it's in greater service to this larger story. I but think, before we get to... Oh, sorry, Ruben. Sorry. Sticking with that, I feel like these character changes aren't inherently a bad thing if you keep the essence of the character. They're just a different thing. Yeah. I think the issue that some people have, for example, with Taskmaster is that it just changes the character entirely. But if like you look at Mysterio and compare the Mysterio they did in Far From Home to what they did in the comics, similar personalities for Quinn and Beck there. Pretty, um, pretty, pretty spot on personality. Yes. That's it. All right. That's my last point on this. Um, yeah. Going back to the opening scene now. So let's talk about a skewed timelines because that comes up here. I want, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about the opening itself in the sense that. I really like the on the ground approach they took. And you were mentioning this a bit earlier, but I don't feel like the MCU has done enough of showing what it's like to actually live there when you don't have superpowers. I mean, I guess they did. did Yeah, they did in the first episode of Hawkeye. Hawkeye a bit. Eternals a bit with Dane Whitman at the beginning. Yeah, um, so but I feel like when they were looking at the clips, when they were showing the Avengers the clips of all the destruction they had caused, and it's like from these like, like um, found footage perspectives of people kind of like being off to the side and getting crushed by falling debris and whatnot. Yeah, but not getting that on the ground approach is really similar to like, let's say like in the sense of real life, it would be like following the military, but not following who the military affects, yeah. I guess, um, in that sense. So I'd be interested in getting more of those on the ground stories. Hell, even a full Disney Plus series that they had to this... do a damage control series. They did on ABC, uh, like seven or eight years ago, when Agents of Shield was still a thing on that network. Mm-hmm. They did. I think they even filmed a pilot for it. Um, yeah, damage controls in this movie. I think it was before this movie got made that they were considering a damage control um, yeah. show. Yeah. Well, yeah, damage control in the comics. Briefly, uh, it's basically. This unit of the U.S. government, oh, this department, I should say, that goes around and cleans up the messes that the superheroes make. And I think there was even a full comic at one point. And it's basically just following these normal people living within the Marvel universe and going around cleaning messes. Yeah. Which, um, if uh, big tangent, but if you guys are uh, like fans of like small indie video games, there was one that came out a while ago called Viscera Cleanup, which is kind of a similar concept where you're kind of like this janitor cleaning the aftermath of like this science fiction horror setting and you're like you're kind of seeing what happens but you're not like a part of it that's something i would have wanted to see out of a damage control um like series like that like you kind of like see the aftermath of all these things and it's kind of you putting together what happened but but not even just damage control just like the human beings on the ground like vulture and these blue collar workers yeah i just found it really interesting how they got screwed over and they decided to use what they got screwed over with to their advantage, basically. Yeah. And that's the entire shooting, impetus yeah. of this character. And I love the little twist they did to the Vulture character in the sense that he is actually a scavenger now. He is going yeah. after the scraps of these battles. That's nothing like it was in the comics. In the comics, it's just this really weird old guy who's trying to stay young. Well, I think that was just in a, a specific comic run that we read when we were kids. That's true. Yeah. I can't remember what his, his overall motivation usually is, but I like that tweak to the character. I also, I think that's 
a big part of what makes Peter Parker Spider-Man by the end of this movie is Adrian Toomes' characters and his motivations, but we'll get to that later. Um, so going back to the scene specifically, uh, it kind of opens up with with a drawing of the Avengers, and I, I'm sorry, this is where we start talking about like the time. That, yes. Like yes. obviously, when you when you're running a, a ship like the MCU, you're gonna f up at some point, and this is just the the point where they did where it was like, oh, eight years after the Battle of New York, it's like it's only been five years. Uh, so Disney, Sony, what the hell happened here? And then it's like. So we had a minor thing there. So for uh, and then they corrected it, but that I think it's that, that was a Sony thing. I think yeah, but mistake. that does mean, but that does mean that that drawing at the beginning was made by a twelve-year-old, but it looked like an eight-year-old did it. So kid does not have a future, Adrian. Uh, <laughs> the retcon they could potentially make is Liz having a younger sibling you never see on screen. <laughs> if they really wanted to go that far. Kevin Master would probably do it. Little little fighty man. That man needs to stop being so obsessed. <laughs> man, they already retconned the little kid in Iron Man 2 to be Peter Parker. Not in my head canon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like these opening scenes of Homecoming. Well, let's first talk about the home movie uh, Peter yeah. Parker makes. Yeah. Really fun introduction. Really captures the essence of the character. Yeah, I don't think there's much to say about it. Um, no, it's just that. a breath of fresh air for me to see that, like a young Peter, like a high school Peter, like someone who's at the very beginning, he still has like kind of an innocence to him. I think, at least, my theory is that if like because there is an Uncle Ben in this in, in this universe, we just haven't sadly gotten to hear much about him. I think that Peter probably was too young uh, to even really remember Uncle Ben that much, so he. He's kind of untouched by kind of like the damage of the world or like the gravity of the world. So he's kind of throughout this movie kind of learning more and more about the world, what it's really like out there. And he hasn't had that painful awakening yeah. that his Aunt May has in the past, which we'll get to Aunt May later. But I think I really like how we start off the bat. He's like this innocent kid. He's filming a video of him like in the middle of a goddamn battle. Like he... Like, from the beginning, you can tell that this Peter Parker kind of thinks that this entire hero thing is kind of a game. To, it's kind of a game. He's, like, enjoying himself. And which is, yep. you know, I know that people wanted something different out of this Peter Parker. And they wanted a more mature Peter. But let's take a step back. Remember that, um, let's think about the fact that Marvel didn't have the rights of Spider-Man until 2016. So they couldn't use him early on. Okay. It makes sense to have this be a kid in like the marvel universe if you if you were just a random kid in the marvel universe and you got these superpowers and you there were other heroes out there wildly televised you would think that it's kind of a game i'd like how this is like this is kind of an invincible approach to the character if you will where it's kind of like mark going into the his first battle thinking oh this is just this will be easy this is like the comic books and then it it's like a real life. I think Invincible does it better, but this is kind of a similar thing where it's like Spidey is a kid. He doesn't understand the full ramifications of what he's doing. And like, he's learning throughout the movie about that. Yeah. The one thing that I want to mention from your tangent is how you mentioned that people don't like how they portrayed Peter Parker in this. Yeah. I feel like if they would have stuck to a comic book, 1960s 70s approach to peter parker then it wouldn't have been a modern high schooler yeah i feel like the changes they made were necessary 
or else, you know, it would have seemed really inauthentic um, yeah. to what high school's actually like as someone yeah. who was watching in 2017 and who had just finished going through high school. Yeah. I feel like they captured the essence of high school really well in this movie. I think they did a great job. I love how they integrate the high school, the high school um, cast. I like the change they do to Flash. Speaking of updates, I do think that it works within the context of this movie. Yes, yeah. I do like this Flash Thompson. Is he my favorite? No, no. that still goes to the Amazing Spider-Man. I oh, really sure. wish we would have seen more of him. But I think Flash is great in this movie. Uh, now that it, now that we're kind of like following the flow of the movie, another character to bring up I think is Ned. Uh, he's kind of a uh, Peter's friend within this universe. Um, I mean, he's not—he's no Harry Osborn, but I really think he's good. I really enjoy him in these movies. Like they basically made him Genki from the Miles Morales uh, supporting yeah, cast. But they which no the problem with that. Yeah. They gave him the name uh, of the Hobgoblin for some goddamn reason. Well, one of the Hobgoblins, because I guess there's a couple Hobgoblins in the comic books. Yeah. I think he works, though. Like, I don't know. People are like... I, I think it's a good deviation. Like, we've we've had a lot of Harrys. We've seen Harry fail recently in, in, a, in a reiteration. So I think it makes sense yeah. to kind of bring in, like, a new and fresh character. Um, let's see. I'm really liking the character dynamics between the students from the get-go. Uh, I said here in my notes, we need more Abraham. Abraham was the... you remember Abraham? Oh my gosh, yes, yes. That kid was hilarious and he was underutilized. He only had like upset. a couple little lines or moments, you know? He Stole every him... moment. Stole every moment. No, they Bring really did a good job with the supporting cast in the high school. Yeah. Hell, even with the teachers, the casting was on point. I love Martin the... Starr kills it as yeah. their uh, decathlon leader <laughs> and then um Hannibal Burris as their gym teacher and his bit part was also really funny Un underutilization of Hannibal but honestly let's be real that's probably all this man could have done in the MCU but, but again it. again to the best to the essence of like capturing high school accurately the Hannibal Burris coach captures perfectly the I don't get paid enough for this teacher, which unfortunately yeah. is a really common thing. But... I love how uh, I love how he's standing on the wrong side of the computer in that one scene. Oh, wait, Captain oh, America. Like yeah, I also love how that scene is kind of indicative of the U.S. education system in that they will not change shit. No matter oh, no. what. Oh, no. <laughs> the same videos from like 30 years ago, even though facts have been proven wrong or whoever's in it is now a war criminal, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, the first scene with kind of like Spider-Man swinging around. Um, I love this suit. I wish it wasn't CG, though. I wish it was like practical. I do wish that. I do like that they brought in the moving eyes for this Spider-Man, though. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that Deadpool set that precedent. I was, remember I was talking to you back in 2016. I was like, yeah. dude, it, in this Deadpool movie, this man's eyes, the mask eyes better move. And you were like, oh, it probably won't happen. It's live action. And then they did it. And now that's been a gateway to kind of like more and more goofy comic book accurate stuff coming in. I like that the, the oh, everything's comic book accurate now. They gave the Scarlet Witch her costume, man. For yeah, God's sake. Buddy. Insane. I never thought they'd actually do that. But here we are now. Um, I, yeah. I, this initial, the initial sequence, since I know this is what you're getting at. Um, Blitzcrank Blitz bop. The Blitzcrank bop sequence. Um, 
I love it that they show him suiting up because you really have never seen that before in a live action Spider-Man movie. And like how he's like struggling with it. And I love how they made it like comically like huge before he adjusts it. I don't know. That's just such a Peter Parker thing, I feel. Yeah. Like just those little moments in this movie really help like sell this character. I also love his interactions with the civilians during the scene. It really sells that this is a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, oh, the little I problems think, yeah. too. He's solving little yeah. things. He's like, solving all these little things, and like he's constantly wants something more. But like this is still kind of like low level. He's staying close to the ground. This is kind of why Peter thinks this is kind of all a game. Like because this is the most exposure he's gotten. The most of the exposure that he's gotten is okay. I have these powers. I have to help people, but he can only help people on like this low level. But it's still like so touching to see how much he cares about New York and how he interacts with New York and like I especially love the car scene where we get our Stanley cameo for this. Oh, movie that's hilarious! Where you have everyone arguing together. That's it's such so a New York thing. Yeah, like, I love that. That's like, ugh, I just love that moment. Um, so let's see what else. Yeah, the right amount of I said finally the right amount of quibbling. Um. He's still learning about responsibility, but in a different way is what I said about I love how the well. montage ends with him failing and facepalming on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's still you can see this is like a young and inexperienced hero. This is yes. not, this is a very, very young Spider-Man. Um opinions on Ned finding out too early, coming to the end of this montage, or like Oh, before we mention Ned. We haven't mentioned Happy Hogan at all yet. We haven't. I I like that they kept uh, this character around, I guess. Yeah. Um, he never had a huge role in the Iron Man movies, but I think his dynamic with Tom Holland is just brilliant. Yeah. And I guess it's cheaper than having Robert Downey Jr. record a bunch more scenes. <laughs> um, but, but that's besides the point. John Favreau's really talented, and I think... His dynamic with Tom Holland really, yeah, like he sells it. It's like he sells the adult who's being like forced to watch over this kid by his boss, yeah, um, and how he's annoyed with that, and how he slowly grows to like admire this kid. Yeah, I, I love his arc in this movie in that sense as well. Yeah, I really love that too. I like the, uh, before coming to Ned, too, I love that scene where he's, like, eating the churro and the mask is, like, halfway up. Uh, that's very, it, it, it's, like, a straight out of comic book camp, uh, uh, a comic book panel when he's calling Happy and he's eating that churro, like, right before heading back. I also um, love how he drops the wet fluid and, like, catches it, but he's, like, on the side yeah. of the building now. That's a cool shot. That There's is. some really cool shots in this movie, honestly. Between some of like the the more CG stuff, but you know, um, but yeah, going back to Ned finding out, do you think it's too early? Do you think it's fine? I think it kind of works. I think, I think it works. Look, what Marvel Studios and Sony, I guess, uh, since it was a partnership, were doing here was trying to do something completely different that hadn't been done with the character before. And in that sense, they took a lot of swings, and I like this swing, honestly. I like that Ned his closest friend finds out it creates a unique dynamic that you hadn't seen in the other Spider-Man movies. Cause Harry Osborn doesn't find out that isn't a main plot point in one of the movies, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it, I, I, 
Gwen but Stacy's then you meet Spider-Man, but that's, that's but like Harry Osborn finds out at the very end, and then with James Franco's Harry Osborn in the Raimi movies, he finds out at the end of two, yeah, and then he attacks him at the beginning of three, and then he has this amnesia episode that we uh, can't stand. But yeah, like I think a lot of people complain about Tom Holland's Spider-Man secret identity being revealed too often, but rewatching all of these movies, like. It gets revealed pretty frequently throughout all of these. Like it, it's it's like a common, it's like a through line. Like people are like, "Why is he so loosey goosey with his secret identity?" It's like, dude, this is like what it's like in every movie. The villain almost always finds out. The love interest almost always finds out. The friend eventually finds out. Like it's fine. It's part of the character at this I, point. I feel like the repercussions of it are going to be explored in this new movie. I don't know that for sure. But I feel like this entire arc of people slowly finding out his identity and it culminating with everyone finding out his identity yeah. is going to be a big part of this next movie. Yeah. Clearly. I mean, the trailer kind of talks about that. But I think they, the trilogy's building, I guess, is my point. Yeah. Even though it wasn't like an intentional build, I think they're using what came before and these initial identity reveals to like build the arc yeah. of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then we have the we have uh, Aunt May coming into the room afterwards. We get kind of a slight mention of Uncle Ben. Um, I guess I can use this time to kind of talk about Aunt, like Aunt May in these movies. Yeah, go for it. That, I I don't know. People constantly complain about Tom Spider Man. I think the character that's like most underutilized or most misused is Aunt May. Obviously, like I said earlier, my theory is that Uncle Ben died before Tom Spider Man could really remember. But Aunt May should definitely remember and she should have like a bigger like reaction to the fact that Uncle Ben is absent, that her husband is absent, that she's lost all of this and that like now at the at the very end too when it's revealed when she finds out that Peter Spider-Man, yeah. there should be a more visceral reaction to that. But Aunt May kind of I don't know, she isn't used properly, I don't think. We don't have you could have like so much more of an emotional core in this character. And this is like really your way to connect Peter to Uncle Ben in this series. Um, but it's kind of just not, it's not utilized properly. I mean, I guess so far the only mention of Uncle Ben, it's not even a mention. He uses his suitcase in Far From Home, but that's it. No, yeah. but getting back to Aunt May, uh, I think they were building to something bigger with this character. I, at least from like the scenes you see in this movie, you get the scene in the restaurant where they're reporting on the bank heist that happened. Yeah. And she's like, if you see something like that happen, go the other way. Yeah. So I think they're building, they were building to the point where like, she wasn't going to be okay with it. I don't feel or like she would be worried about it. And that was going to yeah. be like a huge dynamic in a subsequent movie. But I feel that the involvement of Spider-Man in the MCU and the arc that happens in Infinity War and Endgame with the blip uh, kind of got in the way of being able to tell that story. Yeah, I feel like they should not have revealed... I don't think Aunt May should have found out that Peter was Spider-Man at the end of this movie. I think that was maybe one of the bigger mistakes uh, of this movie. Um, I just... I don't know. I just really feel like she was the she was the way that we could have gotten Uncle Ben into this because I think that it makes sense for Spider-Man to kind of like have kind of like this mentor figure in another hero. I, I yes. like that idea. Um, like, some people have complaints about Iron Man Jr. or whatnot, or like that. 
like to quote a certain YouTuber that this is too much like Batman Beyond and not enough like Spider-Man. But like there is a good dynamic to be explored there. And just because it's not too much like Spider-Man doesn't mean that this is not another interesting way to kind of like delve into this character. And we, we have a Peter Parker here who isn't like formed independent yeah. like, uh, in a superhero free world where he's like the only super. Like this is a Spider-Man who forms halfway through this rise of superheroes and like he kind of needs guidance. He doesn't know what he's doing. He sees people kind of he sees his idols kind of like doing these big things like on the news and whatnot and he wants to be like them but he's not going about it right so he needs someone to make sure that he's like staying in the right in the right lane and because we don't have like and because we don't have like a, a father figure yet and we don't have like an uncle ben in this movie and i think that it's clear why we don't have an uncle ben in this movie um we have tony stark instead and to go back to that, I think the reason we don't have an Uncle Ben is because Feige saw what happened in the web movies with Ben and how that was wasted. Okay, let's be real for a second here. It's the same thing with Batman. The origin's been told so many times that everyone knows it. Yeah. Hell, with Superman at this point, you can't do that origin again. I think all everyone knows it at this point. Yeah. Point being, it would have been extremely redundant to do the same origin tale with Spider-Man a yeah. third time, because the audience would just be like, all right, all right, all right, let's get to when he's actually Spider-Man. So the yeah. people in charge were like, okay, let's just drop in. He's Spider-Man already. Let's tell a story of him growing into what Spider-Man's supposed to be. And instead I think of, the, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I think the main point of the movie is not only him learning how to be Spider-Man, but also him learning how to be Peter Parker or how to balance the two out too. There's kind of that through line going throughout this entire thing that I think is that it's kind of being missed. I think. I think, but I don't think he figures it all out in this movie. I think this is a continuous battle that he's still yeah. dealing with, and I feel like in the comics, it's not a battle he ever truly figures out. Like new obstacles get in the way. Um, part of the thing of being Peter Parker is um, not knowing how to balance the two lives. Yeah, and you get some really great scenes in this movie. That demonstrate that there's that yeah. great scene where he's leaving to go chase the villains in baltimore or maryland and yeah. he's watching all his uh friends and his love interest liz uh chilling at the pool and from a distance he's just like staring longingly like why can't i have a normal life like everyone else yeah and that's the essence of the Spider-Man character. Yeah, and I think that another thing is that more so than than Andrew, Andrew Spider-Man or at Mark, more like Webb's movies. I can't keep putting it on Andrew. It's really yeah. Webb that's making like the mistakes or making what's working. Well, but... I'd say it's the studio. I, yeah, I think stu Mark, yeah, yeah, that's it's fair. the studio. I think Mark Webb's a competent director and I think those two movies would have been a lot better. They wouldn't have been perfect, but I th yeah. feel like they would have been much better movies if he would have just been allowed to yeah. do what he wanted. Yeah, but going from that, like on Mark Webb Spider-Man, we have this Peter Parker who's not like, it's not like a, oh, this could happen to everyone type of Peter Parker. It's like my father tested on these spiders with his DNA, but ba 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 Yeah, right. Very specific. This, it literally, this Peter Parker, this rendition of Peter Parker feels exactly what it would feel like if a kid in a world of superheroes were to get powers. This could happen to anyone. And they're like, Sh shit what do i do now 
Like, it's like, I can be a hero now. I can do all these things that I wasn't able to do before, but he has no one to, like, guide him along the way. So, like, he keeps getting himself into these, like, foolish situations. And I, I think that it kind of starts to ramp up after in the, uh, during that party scene where we have him leave the party and um, kind of chase after the vulture. Uh, well, I like, he doesn't yeah. chase after the vulture in that scene. Yeah, chase after the vulture's goons. Yeah, he sees the goons testing the weapons in public foolishly. Under the radar. Under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and interrupts the, uh, the seller, um, the selling of the weapons yeah. to uh, the Prowler or Aaron Davis, because he's not the I, Prowler. I listen. Kevin, Kevin, are you listening? Kevin, Mr. Fikes? If you underutilize Donald Glover. I will personally harm you. <laughs> oh, he has to come back eventually. He has to come back. I don't. I just really love Donald Glover and like in what little time he has in this movie, I enjoy him. Like it, it, it's not it's not him do his fullest, but I I enjoy it. I enjoy uh, that character. I like how it's kind of a a lead in into maybe having Miles be in this universe as well. And so it's a cool it. nod to like fans. Fans yeah. wanted Donald Glover to play Miles Morales. I think they based the design of Miles Morales on Glover to a degree. They wanted him to play Peter Parker. Um, and, like, people were like, oh, no, he's black. He can't play Peter Parker. And then, like, somebody was like, oh, okay, well, we're having a black Latino Spider-Man now. And that was partially, okay, partially because Obama was president and this guy was kind of pushed by that, but also because of this kind of like Donald Glover thing coming up. And that's like why we have all that. So this is kind of like an homage to that. Um, talking about the scene as well. I really love, um, I, I should have looked up the actors names, but I love like the two shockers in this movie. You know, I like both of them. Oh my gosh. Yes. They are both hilarious. Yeah. They're um, great. I love like there's a small part, but I really, I just love the Vultures crew in general. The Tinkerer too is just like this really like soft-spoken, like normal dude just making this high-tech weaponry. He's like, like, like slightly nosy and whatnot. He feels like this really human and zany character, and I like that. But yeah, you know. Um, let's see what else do I want to talk about in this scene? Oh, around this time. Um, around this time in my notes, I wrote, my only real question I've mm -hmm. got so far is where did the radioactive spider come from? That's really the only problem I was having at this point. I don't know Jonathan, why. Jonathan, in Andrew and Toby's movies, I mean, no, Andrew does explain where the spiders come from. But in Toby's movies, you don't really get an in-depth explanation of where the spiders come from. I guess they're like, oh, we genetically altered a spider. And that's, that's true. Fair. That's fair. Whole lot of property damage in this scene too is another thing I wrote. Uh, again, Spider-Man learning to be Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. What I love is the homage to Ferris Bueller at one point yeah. in this scene where he's running through the yards. Okay, let's talk about this in general. How do we feel about the John Hughes? How do I want to phrase this? How Vibes. inspired by John Hughes this film is because it feels like a Hughes movie. It kind of feels like a Hughes movie. It feels like a, a softer version of a Hughes movie, I'd say. I like the nods. Um, I like kind of this high school focus, this hijinks focus, kind of like, it's just these kids trying to like, like get along and laugh. We have that scene like right before this, like we were talking about the party scene where like Ned and Peter are like, yo, Spider-Man, let's bring Spider-Man in. And it's like, again, 
Peter not taking the Spider-Man thing 100% seriously because he's like, oh, he's not a party trick. I mean, he could be if I wanted to be popular. So it's kind of like you have a lot of this like play of popularity and just trying to fit in. So you have a lot of those John Hughes ideas yeah. kind of coming in coming in and out and it's balanced out with that mcu action and mcu um mcu kind of like storyline at the same time um i like it because it gives a unique spin to the genre i mean i in general i feel like the mcu has done a really good job of blending unique genres within the superhero tropes now granted the superhero tropes can sometimes get overwhelming over those genres but i think that's what allows these movies to keep you know, the audience engaged or not literally the same tone four times a year. You're getting something yeah. a little bit different each time. Yeah. And this I one mean, really feels like a teen quirky comedy. Um, and like you said, dialed back, it's not to the same, it doesn't have the same bite as a huge film in the level uh, of humor. And, it's not the and, Breakfast Club. And, and, and let me be real, uh, uh, let me be real listening audience. In some cases, it's good that it doesn't have the bite of a cheese movies. May I refer you to Long Duck Dong? Uh, look that up, kids. Just look that Don't up. Don't look Just up 16 Candles. 16 lose Candles. Lose your hope in humanity all over again. <laughs> so, okay. 16 Candles is a product of its time. I can tell it's a well-made film from like a filmmaking standpoint, but the stereotypes and stuff they had in it did not age well. And the romance but, aspect in self as well did not age that well. But this is not we a review. digress. <laughs> yeah, this but is not a, we digress. This is not a review of 16 Candles, Jonathan. I know, I know. But back to the superhero aspect yes. of these movies, Ruben. Yes. Um, yeah, I like um, the vulture swooping in, kind of like giving Peter a taste of the gravity and reality of the situation. I like Stark coming in and Stark is kind of right in this scene. I like how he's right. He does, like, Peter does need to start small. He's just, like, starting out. Like, he's this kid who wants to take on the whole world, but he isn't ready yet. And throughout this enti- the entirety of this movie, we have Peter again and again kind of creating his own problems because he's not ready yet. People say that this Peter doesn't have too many consequences, and in some cases, like, and specifically, I, I, am, I am kind of talking about high top when it comes to that. And in some cases, I would agree. I would have liked to see, I would have liked to see a bit more of the Sokovia Accords interfering with Peter being a hero. I would have liked to see some more punishment from like Ross or like some of the bigger establishment for what he's doing. But every step of the way, Peter makes a mistake and he has to fix it. And like, he's creating his own problems. And maybe those problems should have not been as solved as cleanly as they were. But I like that that idea of him kind of like stumbling through this hero life and like not being able to do anything right at first. And like every good attempt, every like good intentioned action that he takes has kind of like this spiraling outcome that he has to then solve. Yeah, because people were expecting a fully fledged Peter Parker here. But if they would have done a fully fledged Peter Parker, this just would have been another run of the mill MCU movie. And I don't feel like it would have been as good. Uh, spoiler yeah. alert, this is my favorite Spider-Man movie out of all of them. Yeah. Um, For me, it's difficult to say, because, um, I mean, we'll get to that more later, but I'm watching this, watching through the Spider-Man movie again, this and Raimi 2 are a lot closer than I remember them being, but, um, like, I-, I think they still have 
people are kind of missing out on some of the great things that this is doing with Spider-Man. Like I said, it's kind of like the invincible approach where you have this guy who's not sure about like what it means to be a hero and he's learning that along the way. Um, I like that. I, and, I, and I really do like that. Uh, I wrote here, Peter doesn't completely understand the more subtle aspects of responsibility. His definition of being a hero hasn't formed yet. Um, you know, if they do make a college trilogy... It'd be nice to see him struggling in greater ways, but like this is a Peter who is kind of learning and he has someone to guide him. And right. like, I know people want more consequences for this Peter, but he's just a kid. And I think that we're starting to see those consequences ramp up with each following film. We have in this movie a Peter who kind of solves his, who causes his own problems, but yes. solves all of them cleanly. And now in the newest movie, we have a Peter who causes his own problem again. But he's not able to solve it cleanly, and he ends up getting people hurt because of it. He can't save everyone. That's something that's really cool in that No Way Home trailer, that concept of like Peter finally being like, my actions have consequences. I'm not always going to have a case where I'm able to save all my classmates from falling down the slave-built Washington Monument. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. and all of them survived that. Like, I like that slow build. and I, I think it's worthwhile to see that slow build occur. Um, but yeah, we have right before, speaking of this Washington Monument scene, right before that, we have that scene back in the, in Vulture's base with him talking to the Shocker, who he then proceeds to kill. (laughs) I'm the Shocker. Shocker. You're the Shocker. You shock me. You shock me. That's another line that Ruben Jacob and I, rest in peace, Jacob, you will be missed, that Ruben (laughs) Jacob and I, like, just randomly say every once in a while. I don't know why, but... I like the dynamic, like I, when we were saying before, I like the dynamics between these guys. Um, I like that bait and switch with the Shocker where you think this one guy's going to be Shocker and then he gets up and murdered. Um, I like how Adrian, you kind of start to see that even though Adrian has like good and like a good heart, he just straight up murdered a guy and he's just like, eh, all for my family. You're like, okay, buddy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Real, real utilitarian view of the world, the means. <laughs> The ends justify the means, yeah. I guess. Sorry, we're taking a drink of water. No, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah, Michael Keaton in general, though, amazing actor. I feel like yeah, we've, I we've, we, I don't, well, we probably sung his praises a lot already, but he really nails this role and all the complexity yeah. behind it because this role does have a lot of emotional complexity to it, especially when they eventually. They bring in his family and they reveal why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. I think that's a big moment. And I yeah. really love this scene of, of we're seeing it ramp up. Like we're seeing the villain part of him ramp up, but we like at the same time, we already know what he's fighting for. And again, at the end, it gets revamped what he's fighting yes. for. Um, but yeah, I love him um, now moving again forward, yeah. gets back into the Cathalon starts trying to uh it's because like this is after he's put a tracker on them, he's gonna follow them to their base, he right. joins with the Cathalon, all of that. Um we talked about the hotel scene. Yes. Um right before we get to the warehouse scene, what are our feelings on Karen? Rewatching it, I actually think I get what they were going for with Karen here. Mm. He was trying to be too much like Iron Man. I think his entire arc in this movie... And is, in the second. Yes, he continues in the second. But from beginning to end in this movie, 
he just wanted to be one of the big boys, one of the big superheroes, yeah, taking on the big problems. And I feel like Iron Man is his window to that world. So giving him an AI like Iron Man makes him more like Iron Man. So I think what this uh, AI of Karen was supposed to do was to signal how Peter's trying to be something that he really isn't. And that's why he struggles so much. And that's why he struggles so much with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you know what? When you put it like that, it's better. Because watching this again, I really did not like Karen. I was like, Spider-Man shouldn't have an AI. But maybe he doesn't in the future, to, though. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm supposed to feel that way, though. I think it's a very it's a very visceral reaction for me, though. I'm like, I don't like that. Hey, Paul Bettany's wife plays to. Karen, by the way. I don't know if you knew that fun fact. Wait, what? Uh, Jennifer Connelly, yeah. Jennifer Connelly's married to Paul Bettany? Yeah, I didn't know. I I knew who played Karen. I just didn't know that Jennifer Connelly was married to Paul Bettany. Yep, yep. Oh That's a God. thing. Huh. Look at that. I like that scene where he's kind of like fumbling about with the web. You got the instant kill gag. You got him having the default webs reset. You have the shocker about to go out, but uh, the tinkerer coming in and being like, "Yo, dude, uh, you're gonna shatter your arm. Like, let's put on the dampener." He's like, "What's the dampener?" I like all this fumbling about. Oh, like, how he's I like love, fumbling. Yeah, I love how both the hero and also the villains of this movie are both trying to be something that they're not. Like throughout this, if you kind of look at it, I hadn't really thought of that. But you have these these dudes who are like blue collar workers trying to be these big bads, and they're like, "Yo, how do how the hell do we do this?" And you have this this you have Peter trying to be like this big hero, trying to be Iron Man, trying to be something that he's not, and failing miserably. Um, but like, I kind of like the the dichotomy between the two. That's it. Really gets thing. back to what this movie is, which is a smaller story set within the overarching MCU. Yeah, they're trying I to get do. that ground perspective of the MCU. The only thing I would have wanted more from the outside the MCU in this movie, like I said, was some of those Civil War Sokovia Accord like consequences. Because especially later on, I can't, I keep on jumping forward. And jumping no, that's back. cool. Yeah, but in the in the fairy scene, like I feel like Peter should have bigger consequences than just getting the suit like taken away, or like Stark should like have a throwaway line where he's like, "I have to keep all these people off your ass." Every time you do something like this. Right, like, yeah. Or it's like, Ross would have had your head if I hadn't come in here and fixed this. Like, stop screwing this shit up. Something like that would have been great. Oh, so I agree. see arriving in the background. And now we are being joined by the third member of Cube who took a study break to be with us down here. Study break? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah to be with us. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I am here. I am here. Jacob Kiros is here. I am Jacob, destro- destroying the flow of our perfect homecoming episode. My bad, right, my bad, my bad. Jacob, what are your overall initial thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming as a movie? Mm, honestly, best live-action Spider-Man movie. Gotta Damn. Say, I gotta say that. I have a kindred spirit here. Yeah, Man, you I, both are set on that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of but, in between this and, and Raimi too, honestly. <sighs> It's just like, this is, well, actually, Raimi 2 is pretty good, too. But, like, the thing is, um, I just think, like, there's no real lows in this movie. It's just, like, a constant, whoop, you know what I'm saying? The pacing in this thing's really good. It's really, it's really good. About it. good. But I wouldn't say there are no lows. But I mean, What? You think there are lows in this movie? Like, where? Well, Oh, lows. Yeah, kind of like slow moments. Oh, or no, I thought you meant lows. Like, they're, they're like, still kind of like. 
Well, okay, okay, okay. I meant like, yeah. I meant like uh, wolves more than. Like, yeah, no, I got gotcha. No, we were kind of talking about like a few of the issues that some people have with this with this Tom Holland with Tom Holland's rendition of Spider Man and kind of like what me and Ruben are thinking of Tom Holland's rendition of Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, right now we were kind of in the midst of, of talking about uh, him in Maryland chasing down the vulture and ending up in the warehouse. Um, but I guess, like, since you've just joined us, anything on the vulture or on Tom, Har- uh, Tom Hardy, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, um, or, you know, kind of leading into this scene? Yeah, um, I really just feel like, he, like him as a character, like, as, like, as Spider-Man himself, like I think he pulls it, he pulls it off pretty well and all that. But like, just for me, like if it was just him, like the whole time, if he wasn't being carried by like the other actors and then we like Happy uh, and like Tony Stark and like those guys, yeah. I just don't. I, I'm just not sure if like the character I would have enjoyed it as much. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. he's a good character, yeah. But like I just don't know if this is like my type of Spider-Man, hundred percent. I don't know why. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, for for me I still like Andrew a bit better. Like obviously the lows of Andrew are really low and mm-hmm. I don't like some of what he does as Spider-Man, but the highs of Andrew are better than even some of the stuff that I see from Holland in this with the exception of one scene in particular. Um but like yeah. I think that Tom is working though for the most part. And I like this scene too in the warehouse. We kind of see him playing around with the webs and like figuring things out yeah. and like yeah. kind of kind of like bumming about before kind of like getting off his ass and trying to get like back to the decathlon. But like, I, I kind of like, like what me and Ruben were saying is that we like the more youthful, jovial kind of see like view of Spider-Man is more right. innocent. He's um kind of like Mark and invincible in that he's kind of like this kid who's grown up looking up to heroes. And now all of a sudden he finds himself um, having these superpowers and he doesn't know how to use them. And he, thinks he knows what it means to be a hero but he's really just playing at a game right now and he's kind of like getting himself into deeper and deeper shit throughout yeah. he gets knocked out and ends up in this warehouse he misses the decathlon his him he ends up indirectly causing the explosion at the washington monument because he yeah. didn't get to net in time and he was talking about like he was trying to tell him about what the thing that he got from the from the car chase earlier that it was an explosive but like no dice you know all these problems he's created, and yeah, he's able to solve them. He's able to save his uh, classmates from the monument. What do you think about that monument scene, by the way? I guess I I think it's it's great. It's phenomenal. Um, I I just love like it that that moment really just feels like it, it does feel like Spider Man there. You know what I mean? Like that's I think that's like as close as you can get to like uh, comic book accuracy, like in Spider Man. You know, like just climbing the tower. That's like getting in there and like getting into like the the monument by breaking the window and like flick like i don't know he's just like him also telling himself like you got this you got this it's just like i <laughs> you can relate i feel like that's one thing about the spider-man is that anyone can really relate to this uh spider-man he's more relatable than like i would say um the uh what toby Maguire and andrew garfield spider-man yeah. i think in a sense i think i think that, that toby and andrew are relatable for their worlds you know what i mean they're relatable for their yeah. worlds. I think Tom's also relatable for his world because I was telling Ruben again, this is a Spider-Man. This is a Spider-Man uh, who uh, is already in a world full of heroes. Like he's not just like the first superhero, like the first superhero that these people are seeing. He's kind of like, this is what would happen if a kid 
in a world of superheroes got these powers. You just kind of be like, what do I do with this? You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like he's relatable, and I, I, I he's more he's relatable for this for this for the setting. And yeah, I like I love him in this scene. Honestly, I love how he kind of like puts on a different voice when he's in the elevator because he's like <laughs> trying to hide the fact that he's, he's Spider Man. Yeah, I like that for the first time they've acknowledged that you might have to change your voice just in case. Um, <laughs> Or people are gonna find out. I like the, the the rhythm of that action scene. I like how again this is like a smaller story, so it's like it's a smaller moment. It's him saving his friends and like him like making sure that they're okay. And, Man, you know, Marvel is really big. If you're calling an explosion at the Washington Monument a small scale <laughs> moment, yeah. we're, we're talking about the same. Did you watch no, no. the end of Endgame? No, I did. <laughs> I did. But Endgame hadn't happened here yet, Jonathan. For no, another thing. That, for you, another, the day that Spider-Man blew up the Washington Monument was the most important day of the life. For me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> another thing I love, love, love about this scene that we should mention. The score by Michael Giacchino. Giacchino! Whatever. Giacchino! No one says it right. He says it right. I'm going to say it right. No, his score in the Washington Monument sequence always stands out to me for whatever reason. It's because, hey, you want to know why? It's because going back to Raimi, we have a score here that's dynamic with the movement on screen. I love that when he's hitting the window, you kind of have this like, ooh, ooh. you kind of have these moments of like the strings winding up, winding down, winding up, winding down. I'm telling you, when you have music that matches with the action on screen or that is complement a score that complements the visuals, it's a lot more impactful. Because Giacchino's score is great and all, but it's heightened by its use in this scene. And I think it's He's the best modern film well, best modern composer for sure, in my opinion. He's one he's up there. He's up there for sure. Who would best you modern- say? Well, film composer, right? We're talking yeah. film composer. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's great. I love him. I what's her name? Uh, she did Joker. She did Chernobyl. Hildor's also really great. Oh yeah, yeah. She's good. Um, Ludwig Borson. We gotta talk about Ludwig, man. We're other... not just a phenomenal film composer, a phenomenal music producer. He he's produced all of Childish Gambino's stuff. Uh, speaking of Donald Glover in these movies, yeah, there you go. I mean, I mean, they're not the same person. What? <laughs> and then so like, yeah this next section of the movie is peter facing the consequences for his actions he gets yeah. in trouble for washington he skips detention he gets in trouble with stark with the fairy which you were talking about earlier jq yeah. Yeah, and skips, causing that he's in detention and skips detention. i hate how people say there there's no consequences in here they're small but there are consequences i wouldn't even call them small i mean this is a big section the Big thing about the movie is him getting in trouble with the principal. Yeah. And no, having... I mean, but like to be fair, in the because again, we're talking about the grand scheme of Marvel. When we're talking about a high school student, these are big deals. Like, these yeah, are like bigger things, especially if you're like. Which it makes sense because this is told from a perspective of a high school student. Exactly. You see, I I don't know. All right, I, we have... I, I I love how I'm sorry. Wait, just real quick. Yeah, yeah. I love how in that news report. Right after the also the the, the school news reports are funny just because of how badly put together they yes. are. I just really <laughs> love that. But I like how the teacher's like, I couldn't bear to lose a, a student during again, a school trip. Again. Not again. Not again. <laughs> Not again. What? 
Martin Starr, baby. He nailed you every know, scene you know, in this movie. You know what that makes me wonder is that if, if that was also superhero related. <laughs> oh, field trip to the, to the Museum of Art in New York City while the Avengers invasion of New York was happening or the Shatari invasion yeah. of New York was happening. Because it's very possible. These guys, just really, I feel like that's just, a, that would be like a normal occurrence. You have all those memes online where it's like me walking out of my nine to five watching Superman throw a car at Doomsday and I'm still throwing yeah. my car at Doomsday and missing. It's just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> it's like, bruh, bruh. <laughs> Why? You know, kind of a funny coincidence, but like uh, there's this kid in my class today was like who walked in it was the first class of the day and he's just like bro dude i got i i, I came here late because i saw the avengers like just fly over me you know <laughs> they just fight there was this huge monster this huge like alien ship and, it, and the avengers just came in <laughs> it's like <laughs> i want i would like to see something like that ruben and i were talking about on the ground earlier in this in this in this episode i feel like Seeing stuff like that would be hilarious. I feel like there's a lot of potential there, comedically and dramatically. Um, so, like, so I feel like that'd fit right in. An anthology MCU series where you follow a different character every episode. Never That's heard of that before. Normal human. Okay, there you go. <laughs> is that is that actually a thing? I don't think it's a thing. I wish it would be a thing. It should be a thing. Okay, so. <laughs> We haven't talked about this much, but Robert Downey Jr. in this movie, now that we're coming up to the scene where he takes away the suit from Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. I oh. think he's used sparingly in this movie. He got paid $15 yeah. million dollars to be in this movie. <laughs> what? For like three big, or four scenes. Big difference between Iron Man 1 payment and this movie's payment. But I think this movie furthers the Tony Stark arc as well. It's like a full circle thing for tony or now he's caring for a, a new irresponsible hero um coming from the perspective where he was an irresponsible kid once yeah i think i think that's the problem that a lot of people have with this movie is the fact that it's like it's all it's a peter parker story but it is also furthering tony's arc and people are frustrated with how big of a part iron man has in these in these spider-man movies but I mean, like, for me, I'm a bit mixed on it. I don't, I think it works. I do think it works. I personally, in the span of the MCU, I think it works. I know a big complaint is, like, whether is whether or not comic book Spider-Man and comic book Iron Man will get along, which sometimes they didn't, sometimes they do. At least in the case of the Civil War comics, the comics. They were on the opposite sides eventually, yeah. Yeah, they're on the but opposite it, side eventually. But they have a, ten, they have, like, a, like, a strenuous relationship but I feel like this is good for both of their characters. For Tony, it's an example of him finally starting, or it's like it's his continued growth as a person. He's now not thinking so much about himself. He's thinking about the world and now realizing that he can't save the world in this big way with Ultron. He has to take care of like, of like he has to take care of the next generation of heroes. He has to take care of what he has. Like yeah. Ultron was a fluke. So now he has to put his trust in people. So that's a cool arc. And I know it maybe detracts or takes away from Peter's arc in this movie, but that works because Peter's arc is still moving along quite fine, even without him. So to talk about, I guess, the third act in a chunk here, you get Spider-Man in his original costume, not his Stark tech. Yeah. Then you get him figuring out that his date to homecoming has a father who's the vulture. <laughs> 
and then you get the vulture slowly finding out he's spider i mean i, I just love that the scene. entire third act of this movie i feel is quintessential spider-man in this the sense that it it nails it man this it is nails where it the finds character its stride. this yeah. is where the movie finds its stride and this is where like and this is like whenever i hear complaints about holland spider-man i'm like okay yeah we have these things not working but let's look at what's working. This third act is great. Everything from the Iron Man scene where, where Tony is taking away the suit, which is phenomenal, by the way. I really love that scene. Yeah. Moving from that point forward, we have really great Spider-Man moments. We have an actual heartfelt scene with Aunt May for once in this series, which I yeah. wish we would see again. I yes. feel like ever ever since Rosemary Harris, though, we haven't really been utilizing We haven't Aunt gotten May that. As, yeah. We haven't been utilizing her to her fullest potential. And even with Rosemary Harris, Harris, it wasn't to its fullest potential. I agree. Agreed. Um, but like, I love that. I love that interaction. Um, I love that Peter kind of like loses all of this and he gets back to the ground and he has a chance to be a normal kid. And we have this moment where he's like, okay, I don't have this suit. I don't have this responsibility. And yet, faced with that problem, learning who Liz's dad is, learning that he has a chance to stop him, he can't say no to his responsibility there. He can't say no to the fact that this man is going to hurt people if he keeps doing what he's doing. And he leaves and he decides to protect the greater good rather than to pursue his own personal life or his own personal kind of like Which, choice. That's, that's the, Spider-Man! That is the character to a T. Um, easy pitch, easy fastball, yeah. easy swing. That sets it up. That's the character. Yeah. Jacob. And he proves that he's Spider-Man without the suit. Yeah. Which is great. Dick, what are your Dick, what are your thoughts on how they handle Spider-Man in this ending in that, section? In ending section? Ending, yeah, ending section. I of think the movie. it's spot on, honestly. Like it, what Jonathan was saying, I mean, I agree with him fully. And I, I honestly had to think of what uh, I hadn't thought of like some of the stuff that he was saying, but yeah, it's true. It's like everything like from the comics, you know, like him, you know, putting sacrificing his own like personal gain for the greater good of like the city or the community or whatever that's like that is that is spider-man right there you know like spider-man is the you know friendly neighborhood guy you know they always he's 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 willing to do whatever he needs to do to save it like save uh save the world i guess not that i mean even though it's kind of cliche but yeah but I, I just I just think like this really gets it like this third act really gets what Spider-Man is as a character. And to me, be. the third act also cements the Vulture as my favorite live action Spider-Man villain. That scene in the warehouse is really good. That I scene mean, in the warehouse is really good. Story. The scene where they're driving to homecoming and he slowly finds out that he I'm... is Spider-Man and you see the brilliance. People say John Watts isn't a good director. Effing bullshit. <laughs> That's the the shots he chose the choice to have the green light hit yeah. the i love that face. i was gonna say the that, moment yeah. he realizes um that spider-man is peter parker that's artistry that not a lot of filmmakers have mm-hmm. yeah he is better than what people give him credit for a lot of people will say and now that we're talking about an mcu film i can finally talk about things like this is that friends of mine who are also like film heads like me or like ruben or like Jacob to an extent. Of Jacob, no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, but like the, the main complaint about the MCU is that a lot of times like formula stifles creative vision, and that is true in some cases. But I love moments like this where you can see that the creativity of the artist is still shining through. Moments that you'll see in other MCU movies like that. Black Panther has plenty of moments like that. 
the Eternals, for all its flaws, has moments like that. Like James Gunn have, and James those Guardians Gunn movies, those Guardians, he redefined the Guardians. Those are his characters. So I feel like the MCU does give directors free reign to an extent. Um, it's yeah. not perfect, but I oh, feel no. like I, I feel like it's not to the point where it's literally the same movie every single time. Yeah, if that makes sense. Going to the warehouse scene too, um, and just kind of continuing with this false trust of villain. I love again going back to the beginning, tying everything back together. How complex of a view of this world we it, like we're shown through these characters. Oh yeah, we get a lot of grace. It's it's very nuanced. It's very mature for a superhero movie to talk about the nuances of, you know, what it's like for the vulture as a blue collar worker who had everything taken away from him by richer individuals. Yeah. I like that idea too of like people at the ground level in a superhero world lose everything and then because of the way that the world works, those same people who are supposedly protecting them are also actively harming them. And this idea, again, of like, what is it to be a superhero? And like, if you're like this big superhero, and this is something I think which is, there is a moment at the end. There's something that Peter says in that last scene when he's about to become an Avenger that ties back to the scene so beautifully, I think. And it's that Adrian Wait, what Toon, was it? It's that Adrian Toon says, no one is out there looking for the little guy. And I think right there in that moment, Peter's, oh my like, gosh. Peter's like, oh my God, if I become a hero like Stark. I never like caught Cap, that. He does say like that. Thor, he does say that. If he yeah. becomes something like that, he won't be able to help people like tombs. He won't be able to help misguided people who end up becoming villains. And that's why at the end, when it's like, do you want to be an Avenger? He's like, I'm going to look out for the little guy. The vulture literally, his character influences peter to become the hero that he ends up becoming this is a villain who has such a big impact on peter and he he's like obviously yeah. peter still doesn't know the full extent of what it means to be a hero but he yeah. knows one thing is that right now he can't be as big as his oh idols. yeah he can't be like this big tiring figure he has to be something small and i love that moment and i feel like that connection is undermined by like everyone's like discourse about mcu spider-man there's yeah. again great things happening oh here. yeah all of this stuff is why i think this is my favorite the one one final scene i want to talk about in this movie in detail is the scene where after the building collapses on spider-man uh, and he's calling out for help and then he realizes that he has to you know Hero up. Grow up and actually get himself out of this mess. And he lifts the rubble. And it looks like that iconic comic book cover. I mean, the entire thing's brilliant, man. It is such an amazing... Since I don't think... That is the best live-action Spider-Man moment since the train scene in Spider-Man 2. Yes. Legitimately. Like, God! It's such a great moment of Peter kind of like being like, Okay, this isn't a game. I'm in danger. No one's going to help me. I have to save me. I have to stop him. This is like a moment where there's no... He's like, help me. And I think, again, another parallel is being drawn here. Because when he was put in mortal danger earlier, Iron Man came in, swooped in, saved him from drowning. Yeah. Here he has to do it on his own. He has no outside help. And it's him being like, I got to do this for me. 
again, a great moment that I feel is overshadowed by so much of the discourse. And then you get the great moment a couple minutes later at the end of the Vulture Spider-Man fight where he's trying to save the Vulture. And so it comes full circle. He's finally the hero that's having to save someone else, you know? Yeah. I really like that choice. Um, Overall, I mean, especially the last third of the movie, it it nails Spider-Man. The writing's on point. Um, the direction's on point in this movie. I mean, I don't know. I what's not to love? Um, yeah. Gents, final thoughts on Spider-Man: Homecoming in general. If you guys have anything um, else to say, what's with the tiger? Oh, the the little the mascot running in the background. I'm gonna be scenes? honest with you. I completely forgot about that, and because of my note taking, I missed all of the instances except for the very last one, and I was like. Oh shit, that was a thing in this movie. Yeah, the, the guy was always late. Oh my god, another character we didn't talk about at all but that we should briefly mention at all. Uh, Sendea's, yeah, Sendea's yeah. MJ. She has a bit part in this one, but I really like how she was utilized. It, it is that quirky kid in high school that's like a wallflower where everyone's like, huh, I wonder what's up with that kid. Yeah. They're just always around, you know? I think yeah. they nailed that aspect of high school as well. I with think, that character. yeah, I, I'd say um, I would have, if knowing that Zendaya's MJ was going to become bigger, I do wish we would have gotten just a little bit more from her in this movie to set her up even better for like what was to come for her. Right. That's my only real complaint with Zendaya in this movie. Um, again, certain people complain about the MJ uh, Tom Holland relationship and how it's not like this big thing and how like MJ is supposed to be Peter Parker's one true love. Uh, They're just... high schoolers. Holy and shit. May... And uh, <laughs> Senor High Top, may I also refer you back to the Raimi movies and our reviews on them. That relationship wasn't too hot either, bud. But my point being is that I do agree. I, will, I Yeah, I'm sorry. I really do <laughs> wish. Yeah, look, look, I have nothing against this guy. Like, opinions are opinions, but like, you know, I. I got to throw my hat in the ring every once in a while. But my point being is that I do want Zin. I would have wanted more from MGA in this movie. Um, at least thematically speaking, like it would have been great if she had like just a little bit of a bigger presence. Okay. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I understand why I was about to say, maybe just get rid of Liz, but no, you can't do that. Cause then that takes away the impact of the vultures character. So I understand that. Um, I don't know if I have, Anything else. That was another one I was going to say. Also, uh, talking about Scorpion in this movie, because his character's in this movie for a little bit. I really wanted to see him in Spider-Man 3. If that was a Craven scorpion movie, like, we're going to see what No Way Way Home ends up. But if that was a Craven scorpion movie, like, chasing after Parker, I would have loved that. They gotta go smaller after this big multiverse thing. Go with Kingpin, have him hire the scorpion. We're getting off track. We'll probably have an in-depth conversation about what we want for Spider-Man 4 at the end of our No Way Home discussion when we've actually seen the movie. Um, but yeah, Jacob, any final thoughts on, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming? Well, um, as I said before, I think it's a good movie from beginning to end. Uh, it's, uh, just a fun ride. Um, and honestly, like if that was the first Spider-Man movie that you were watching, like that is honestly a great point to start, like starting off point. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, I, I like, I, 
I don't think it's that connected to the other MCU movies besides the fact that there's Iron Man and all that stuff. But like, like I honestly think like you could almost watch this movie as uh, like on its own. Oh it's yeah, just, standalone. It's, it's, stand, it's, it's standalone. It's hundred. It's stand. You know? It's standalone besides for, yeah. the introduction that he has in besides Civil War. Besides the introduction, and then the Avengers, obviously the the mention of yeah. that, and yeah, I mean you do mm-hmm. need to know about that. But um, I yeah, do think like context. yeah, you need to have context. But I I do think it it, it is its own like thing completely and um i i I just think i just love like what they do like with the characters and stuff like that and like you said um it's not it's a lot it's a lot more nuanced than like most marvel movies um it's like the characters aren't fully good or fully bad they make mistakes they're human they're relatable you know like all that stuff like i I think that really elevates the movie um as as a whole you know and I think actually talking with you guys about, and this is something I've experienced through our adventure starting this podcast, is that talking with you guys about these movies, I am discovering things during our conversations that I don't even discover while I'm taking notes. Some of those connections that we're seeing in this movie, some of these thematic connections to that, I think are like just really beautiful. And like Jacob was saying, this movie is dealing with some great stuff that I think get overshadowed because it's another comic book issue MCU entry. But I, I'd like to point out, like, not everything can be can be Alan Moore's Watchmen or Frank Miller's Bat- The Dark Knight Returns. You can't have something that's, like, big and bombastic and, like, fantastic genre-defying, like, action all the way through. Like, sometimes you'll just have these smaller issues that may be more, like, b- like close to the ground or not as maybe as impactful on the wider story. But you have some great moments in there. And I think that we we get into this conversation again of high art and low art and what is art and what not. Yeah. But like, yeah. if you get so obsessed with this concept of high art, you won't be able to see some of these more, like maybe not impressive, but more of these beautiful things happening in these smaller settings. And I think that um, Tom Holland, Spider-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming in particular grapples with a lot more of these ideas of being Spider-Man in, 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 a, in a way that we hadn't seen since Spider-Man 2, that we hadn't seen in Spider-Man 3, that we definitely missed out on in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, unfortunately, even though that would have been the perfect setting for it. Yes. We start to see some great Spider-Man development again here. Like Jacob said, if you're new to Spider-Man, obviously, this is a good place to start. Um, I'd recommend starting even with Raimi 1, though, if you really want yeah. to. Although, if you want the ultimate experience... Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse, baby. <laughs> no, no, no. Spider-Verse is the last thing you should watch. You build. You you don't watch. <laughs> you you watch it at the beginning. You watch the Spider-Man movies. You watch it again at the end. You see how your appreciation for that movie grows. You don't eat the dessert <laughs> before the entire meal. You eat. I eat. I eat ice cream before and after my vegetables, buddy. All right. All right that's foolish of you. All right. What are our scores out of ten for Spider-Man: Homecoming? You want to go first, Jonathan? Or yeah, I'll go first. I can go first. Yeah. Think about it much. I'm somewhere between a seven and a half and an eight, leaning stronger towards an eight at this point. Jacob, uh, I would say like eight or nine. Honestly, it's it's a good movie. I'm a straight nine. I'm a nine out of ten on this one. I really Damn. love it. I love it. It's really right. good. I All right. And that will conclude this episode of Pop Cultural Quintessentials with Cube. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Uh, we will be back hopefully later this week with a review of Far From Home. <laughs> we'll see about that. Ooh. We'll see. It's a busy week for all of us. 
And then yeah. shortly thereafter, we will have a review of Spider-Man and No Way Home. Which will be all good and fun. And then finally, I can rest and look upon a grateful universe. <laughs> Jonathan, sign us off with something. Um, that's a good point. What shall I sign us off with? Um, Happy Hanukkah to those who Hanukkah has passed. Merry Christmas for those who Christmas is coming up. Happy holidays to the rest. You know, if we don't see you soon, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I'm quoting Truman, baby. I'm quoting Truman. I'm freaking quoting Truman. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the room. All right. <laughs>